0: And I think a lot of those death threats and trickling down into where his kids are feeling the repercussions is all because of the media circus that happened after that event. What's up, you guys? I'm Rachel Demita, and welcome to the Courtside Club, where we give you a courtside view on everything that's going on in the world of sports and entertainment. We are back with another solo episode. I hope that you guys enjoyed last week's show with Dre, where we got to make his announcement that he will be continuing his basketball career overseas, at least for the next month. Um, and then we did a little Spill the Tea segment sharing our First date and how that went. So, if you guys haven't checked out that episode in those videos, then make sure that you go ahead and do that. And with that, let's jump in to our topics of today. So, firstly, actually, while I was getting ready to film today, there was an announcement that Draymond Green came out with his first podcast episode since he was suspended back in December. We actually covered this topic a few weeks ago. And talked about essentially the overreaction from the media and saying that how horrible Draymond was and how much he needed help and it was his mental health and it just seemed to be an over-the-top reaction to a play that felt like a very typical Draymond play. So I I watched the entire podcast this morning. Firstly, I thought Draymond did a great job in this podcast articulating his feelings, articulating kind of what he was going through during this time, articulating how he he felt sorry and the people that he was speaking to and what he did to kind of better himself and to change. The main takeaways that I took from the podcast, one, he took full accountability, which I thought was pretty awesome. He, He realized that he was in the wrong for his last play that he had that ended up in the indefinite suspension. And he said that what he was going to do this time around was not say sorry but and that was something that he felt like he had always done in the past is apologize for his actions but had kind of a rebuttal to it and not taken full accountability and i thought that that was something that was just really brave and commendable for him to do so another thing that really stood out and is making its rounds on social media is he he opened up about the fact that he was considering retirement and Adam silver was that person to kind of talk him out of it.
1: I had a conversation with Adam silver commissioner, our Lee. I just told him, Adam it's too much for me. Like this is too much. It's all becoming too much for me and I'm going to retire. And Adam said, ah, you're making a very rash decision. And I won't let you do that.
0: And so he essentially said that he didn't think it was a rash decision. It was just a lot that he was hearing from the media. He felt overwhelmed and he felt like he kind of failed as being a leader for not only, you know, himself, his teammate, his family. He said his mother was receiving death threats. His kids are now at an age where they're in school and they go to school in the Bay Area. So obviously, you know, a lot of those kids are familiar with the Warriors and probably know that their dad is Draymond Green. And so he felt responsible for just putting his family in a light. I will say that, like I said in my previous video about this, I think the way that the media reacted to this situation in general was so over the top. And I think a lot of those death threats and and it trickling down into where his kids are feeling the repercussions for his one hard foul that essentially got him ejected and suspended is all because of the media circus that happened after that event like making it an insanely big deal and and painting Draymond in a light to where he's all of a sudden a bad person or has all of these issues I felt like was just Extremely uncalled for. And I think without all of that, um, his family and he might not have been put in that situation. Another thing that he did mention is normally when he is in some sort of scandal, he will kind of just shut down and he won't listen to different things that the media is saying. He said that he did the opposite in this situation and he actually tuned into everything. He listened to all the podcasts. He was watching ESPN and watching all the sports shows and listening to what everybody had to say. And he said that he was also overwhelmed by how many people were saying that he needed help. Um, One Person in particular that he called out was Stephen A. Smith because if you guys remember, one of the things that Stephen A. Smith said when this all dropped was he he blamed Steph Curry for not being a great leader, and in turn, that is why Draymond keeps getting into the situations that he's getting in. Um, and Draymond said that not only frustrated him but also crushed him because it it seemed like how. You know, he said he spoke to Steph Curry every single day that he's been away from the team. Steph Curry paints himself in the best light, does everything right, is not in the tabloids, doesn't have drama surrounding him. So for Stephen A to kind of drag Steph Curry into this mix and blame him for something that clearly also has nothing to do with Steph was something that I guess of all the media that he was listening to and that he heard, that was the one that really – touched him in the the wrong way and and really hurt him another thing that he said about Adam Silver he said
1: you know we had a long great conversation very helpful to me very thankful uh, to play in a league with a commissioner like Adam uh, who's more about helping you than hurting you or helping you than punishing you.
0: And I think that we've seen that over and over with the way that Adam Silver reacts to certain events and even how he sat down with John Morant when John was going through his different things. And so I think that the players in general think very highly of Adam Silver, and it's good to hear that he was there for him. I'm wishing Draymond the best. I I think from this, he said it was a, you know, a blessing in disguise because He has been going to therapy that he's been doing for however long, but he's been able to look internally. And I'm also glad that he didn't um, come out and say that he had all of these mental health issues or kind of blame it on something that clearly wasn't there. He took full accountability of how he acts on the court. He plays at the edge of that line, and sometimes he crosses over. And essentially what, what I gathered throughout this episode of the Draymond Green podcast is that he just knows that he can't cross over that line and he's going to do better to do he's going to work harder to not do that and he's going to keep the fierce mentality and all that he has on the court but he's not going to cross that line and put himself and and his team in in a place um, that jeopardizes their success and their future so all in all Congrats to Draymond Green. Like I want to give him props for coming out with this episode. I think it's really also cool how athletes can take the media into their own hands and really use their platform and share their own voice and he did that in this and I'm wishing him the best. I hope he gets back on the court soon. I hope that we can, you know, move past this and get past the 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 drama and the just absurd overreaction that we put on one specific player and I'll be interested to see if this also you know lifts up the Warriors because they're not having the greatest season check out the full podcast if you want to hear it straight from Draymond's mouth all right moving on let's talk about the hottest story in college basketball right now and that is Caitlin. Clark, who recently broke the record. She is the first Division I player, and that is male or female, to record 3,000 points, 900 assists, and 800 rebounds in a career. Obviously, if you guys are part of the basketball community or a basketball fan at all, then you have heard about Caitlin Clark plays for Iowa and has really just been making a splash across social media, across this basketball landscape. I feel like she is the best women's basketball player that we have seen in a long, long, long time. The only hype that I can imagine that was even close to Caitlin's is right now was possibly Diana Taurasi or Candace Parker when they were at UConn and Tennessee respectively. Um, it's so cool to see a player like Caitlin, who, again, like stays out of the drama, is such a good basketball player, um, and then just has this confidence about her and to see her highlights all over, like House of Highlights, ESPN, Sports Center. And we don't see that a lot. In women's basketball. A lot of the times you see a lot of people just talking negatively about women's basketball. And now you have people going on podcasts asking, is Caitlin Clark good enough to play in the NBA? And that's the actual conversation to be had right now. This to me is proving my point as to how I think the women's basketball game needs to grow and how it will grow in the future. How I think The women's game will grow is if we are invested in individual players first. And I think with NIL, that has made it more possible for a lot of these female athletes. You either have to, A, build up your brand in your respective sport and beyond, or you have to be so damn good that you cannot be ignored. And I think Caitlin, for example, isn't one who grew her brand on social media and became, you know, this kind of like influencer or brand ambassador and grew it separately. She is in the category that I think is very rare to get to of being so damn good that you're putting out like Steph Curry level highlights. We haven't seen that in the women's game. She's doing that. Now, on the flip side, we have a player like Angel Reese, who is also a great basketball player, but she has made a splash in other ways from doing all of these NIL deals and being friends with celebrities and being courtside and doing fashion things. And another example we have in in another sport is Livy Dunn, for example. Livy Dunn is not the best gymnast, not even one of the top three gymnasts on LSU's gymnastics team. However, she has built such a following on TikTok and and with Sports Illustrated Swimsuit and all the different modeling ventures and things that she's doing to where she is a household name, which in turn brings fans who maybe wouldn't normally watch basketball but are so invested in Livy that they want to go watch a gymnastics meet. And I feel like this is what we need for these girls who are playing in college. Another example is the Cavender Twins. They have built such a following on social media, and and both of them did play at Miami, and now one of the twins is going to play at TCU. I've met them both. They're super sweet girls. They were not superstars on the basketball court. They're good players, of course, but they're not doing Caitlin Clark-level things, but they built up their brand separately, which got more eyeballs on them. and I think that that is the key to making the WNBA more popular, getting more fans involved. Because here's also the harsh reality. When you look at men's and women's basketball, the men's game offers a more dynamic game than the women's for the pure fact that the men are more athletic. There's a lot more dunks. It's a quicker game. It's more exciting for maybe the average fan who isn't as Knowledgeable about basketball and just wants to see some cool, flashy thing. When you watch the women's game, the skill is on par with the man's game, but the athleticism and not is not. So you're not seeing the posters, you're not seeing the lobs to dunk. You might see it every once in a while. And when we do see that, that is something that's blasted all over social media. One thing that girls can do in their game that is so exciting, and Caitlin Clark does it is those long three-pointers, those, you know crossovers that are dropping people to the floor, like breaking people's ankles, fadeaway jumpers. like Those are the kind of skills that the women can do that would be interesting to a general basketball fan. However, most fans of sports in general are men. They're not as many women who watch sports, period. So men are going to gravitate toward watching the men play in the, the NBA, watching the NFL, I was on a podcast um, just last year where, you know, I, I was with a group of guys and I asked them if they watch women's sports and they said yeah. I said, Well, what do you watch? Volleyball. I watch volleyball. And I asked, when was the last time you watched a volleyball game? And they they couldn't answer it because men don't actively watch women's sport except for maybe when the Olympics come around. However, if you are invested in these individual people and who they are as people, who they are off the court, what they're what their brand is as a whole. And if you think that they are interesting, you are going to be more inclined to follow them to where they go. So I think it's a really exciting thing for Caitlin Clark for having built all of this hype in college. And then when she does make that next leap to the WNBA, hopefully a lot of her fans will follow along with her. And again, that will elevate the rest of the women in the league and i and i think for any female athlete across any sport this time of day that you have with NIL and you have with social media is really giving you so many more opportunities than than we've ever had and so i think whether you're going into college to only play sports and you don't plan on going to play professionally Make the most out of your time in college. Make the most money that you can. Use social media. Figure out what other interests that you have or what makes you unique. Is it something unique that you do on the basketball court that you can really highlight or is it something unique that you have outside of basketball? Are you an artist? Are you a musician? Are you into fashion? Are you doing these brand collabs? Do you want to start your YouTube channel? Do you want to start a podcast and talk to other athletes and get your voice out there and and help that to be known? Opportunities are so endless for women in this college setting right now because the truth of the matter is going on to that next level in the wnba it's not as lucrative as the nba and i don't see that changing for a while until people start watching a lot of men want to throw it back on the women and say, oh, if women, if you want the women to be paid more then you have to watch. A lot of women don't give a damn about any sport, girl, girls or boys sports. They just don't give a damn. You can't force anybody to watch something they don't want to watch. And I think that's the same on the flip side. I'm not going to try to force a casual basketball fan to, if they watch an NBA game, well, they got to watch a WNB, WNBA game too. And I don't think WNBA players also want that to happen. They want... Fans to be tuned in who want to see what's going on on the court who want to see their favorite players playing who want to support their favorite players. And so I think Caitlin Clark is just such a great addition to women's basketball and to women's sports in general. And so I, am excited to see the rest of her career. A lot of people are also calling for her to do a fifth year and continue making a lot of money while she has this NIL and all of these opportunities for brand deals. I think that she will still get lucrative opportunities beyond even playing in the WNBA, but we'll see what she decides. Um, Cameron Brink is another exciting player. Um, Haley Van Lith, Lith, I believe is how you pronounce it, is another outstanding player. Um, Paige Beckers is another outstanding player who is battling injuries, but I'm excited to see them. There's a freshman at USC who is already putting up 30-point games. I'm excited to see her. And what I do hope is that all of these women's basketball players figure out ways to expand their brand and get people excited about them as a human them as a player. And I think in turn with that, they'll follow them to their next venture. And this will all just be a snowball effect that elevates professional women's basketball.
2: What you're talking about is exactly how the NBA grew, right? Like you had, um, um, you know, in the early eighties, the NBA draft and and, and the NBA finals, even, they weren't even televised live. Right. But I think in order for the WNBA specifically to grow, using the fan bases that these players get in college and being able to take those rival rivalries and translate them to the pros would be really helpful. So like, obviously the biggest example of that is Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, right? Like they played against each other in college. It was the biggest, most watched anything ever. And then that rivalry translated to what 12 years in the NBA, a bunch of NBA championships on both sides and then they were both able to hand the torch to Michael, and he elevated the game to what we all know it today. Right. But like at the end of the day, when they first came in the league, it wasn't even a guarantee the NBA was going to exist right now. Mm-hmm. You know, like so you need if it's Caitlin, that's awesome. But if it's Caitlin and Angel and and all these players, if they can take those fan bases that they that they're able to grab, and it translates to you know a decades long rivalry between two NBA WNBA franchises. Um, I think that's what it takes. And you're right. Like players is what matters. Like as much as we all like, uh, you know, whatever team you root for, you root for the, you root for the players on it. Right. Like it's not, it's not the Lakers. It's like LeBron James and the Lakers.
0: The WNBA also needs to do better with their marketing. I think in general, because I think they've dropped the ball, dropped the ball in a lot of areas, even with Skylar Diggins, when she was making such a splash, the WNBA was the franchise that was not capitalizing on that. Every single brand was capitalizing on Skylar Diggins and everything that she was doing. And the WNBA wasn't promoting her and and leveraging her the way that they should have. And I just like remember back in that time, I'm like, why are they not jumping on this hype that she has? Like she's a fantastic basketball player and she's, on the runway at new york fashion week and she's you know making this signature shoe with nike and she's signed with rock nation and in this music video or whatever and the WNBA fell short on that so i think like it's it's old school minded in a lot of ways to the WNBA, and i think they really need to lean into new media and the new way of how everything is is like going about right now. And I think hopefully some of this too just like silences all of those fans who are like, oh, nobody's gonna watch the WNBA unless you lower the rim. Which is like I've also already had that argument. It's not gonna do anything. <laughs> like,
3: and and the fact is, yeah, like in a weird way, that whole like like making fun of the WNBA thing became some sort of meme or some sort of like genre of YouTube video. But the fact is the popularity of women's sports, I think, has been proven over and over in mm-hmm. certain certain sports. Like there's people will, will happily watch people will watch Team USA soccer women more than they'll watch the guys, right? Mm-hmm. And it's for that same reason. It's oh, we know some of the stars. We know that they that they have a chance to win at all, right? I, I think the reason why and like a good example that sort of proves this point is that I think it's always been easier to market individual sports quicker. Because it's easier to get into it faster because it's just one person. And it's like, oh, if you right. watch your first tennis match ever and you see, Oh, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's Serena Williams. It's, it's Naomi Osaka. And you just are told your friend who likes tennis more than you can just tell you, Oh yeah, she's number one in the world. And as soon as so you're in, you're automatically in. You're like, Oh cool. She's number one in the world. That's interesting. Like who's she playing? This girl, she's number three right. and you're in. Whereas like it, it does take more time to get into like a whole league and understand okay which teams are good which players are good what are the rivalries you know to your point
2: earlier it's like it might make sense to keep her in college well the wba maybe should make it worth it for some of these stars for at least a handful of these stars to not stay in college make it worth it for them to go pro um and and whatever that means if that means like Helping facilitate marketing deals or if that means paying them whatever the salary cap is, allowing them to make a little more.
0: And the hardcore basketball fans are already – they already appreciate the WNBA because they appreciate basketball. They appreciate good basketball. So they can see with the WNBA that that's good basketball. The average fan is not going to or the casual fan because – they're looking for dunks. They're looking for posters. They're looking for a vibe at a game. They don't even care what's going on on, on the court. They just want a vibe in the stands. You go to a w, WNBA game, there's not, it isn't that atmosphere yet. It feels more like you'll get more of an atmosphere and more of a fun time at a college basketball game than you will a WNBA game. It feels like, it, it feels very subpar at these games, you know, and, sporadically, you'll have like NBA players courtside at the Sparks game. But, you know, anyway,
3: this is a question on my part because I actually generally don't know, but like, so for instance, the NBA is it's, it's obviously our league here, but everyone in the world kind of understands that's, it's the, it's the best league in the world, right? So ultimately, if you're, if you're a great player out of Slovenia, you want to come play in the NBA. If you're a great player, if you're the best guy in China, you want to come to the NBA. It's really the World League, right? Whereas on the women's side, you do hear about, oh, WNBA players have to go play in Russia or go play somewhere else to make extra money and this and that. And is it even the case right now that if you're the best female player in Russia, do you have any interest in coming to play in the WNBA?
0: Yeah, the best players are here... And I think like the rare example with Diana Trossi when she went and played in Russia, it was like some billionaire who's like, we just want her here. Give her a million dollars. You know what I mean? And so it was more like those countries just making exceptions for people that they really want because they also realized that like having this player was really going to elevate to Jordan's point. This is going to elevate our team. In a massive way. Like nobody cares about us. And so I think to that point, it's the WNBA figuring out ways, and maybe it's the NBA getting in- involved, or maybe there's workarounds around it to get some of these great players who can be the next faces of the WNBA and make a splash. Like they need to get compensated more. Or it needs to be Nike stepping up and giving them, you know, a $70 million deal like they do LeBron. A lot of these companies will act like they care about women's sports. And and I've been in rooms with a lot of them who really want to act like they care. They don't care. They really don't care. Because when it comes down to making the content about it, when it comes down to putting money and investing into it, they don't. So a lot of these big media companies, a lot of these big Brands and shoe brands, they don't care. They want to look like they care because it makes their company look better. But I think it is also that time for some of these places to really act on how they claim to feel about female athletes.
2: I do think that from a content standpoint, the the WNBA should probably start to put, you know, start to give access, you know, a peek under the hood so that, again, your average Mm -hmm. fan who your casual fan who just wants to who who isn't even that invested in any specific team you know they want to see the players outside of just playing basketball they want to they want to see how hard it is uh uh, and how big business it is to own a franchise even even though a woman's franchise they want to see how hard it is to be a woman and a professional athlete like
0: yeah but i think i put that back on the girls themselves because it, it might be more work but that's why i'm like stressing especially the girls in college like this is you're gonna have to do more if you want your voice to be heard put it out yourself like draymond green created his whole own narrative just today because he had his platform and like, that's what the girls like, they need to do it first and they need to prove that it's successful. And that's why I would say like the Cavender twins did a fantastic job with that. Like my friend, Chinea Gumake is now, you know, hosting on ESPN and she's creating social content and that's somebody who some people might not even know that she's also still a WNBA player. So I put that responsibility back on the girls first. Because they can cre- they can create that story, which then makes it – you have to, like, show these big media places. You have to show them that, that it works first. I think that they have the opportunity to do that. Everyone has a phone. Everyone has a camera. Everyone, you know, buy a mic. Just get it done yourself. <laughs> Vlog it. Show us all the things. Everyone also
2: has tea.
0: Everyone also has access to Mobby (laughs) T. So visit your Sprouts Farmers Market if you'd like to try it. Step into a world of natural wellness and Caribbean flavors with Mobi Artisanal Tea, the embodiment of plant power and hydration. Take a sip, join the movement, and embrace a healthier you. Visit MabiTea.com or your local Sprouts Farmers Market now to experience the taste of the Caribbean in every revitalizing blend. All right, for halftime this week, we are going back to a courtside club classic: start bench cut.
3: Start bench cut. Golden Globes red carpet looks. We got Selena Gomez. We got Taylor Swift. And Margot Robbie.
0: So three of the best looks on the Golden Globes red carpet. Also three of the biggest female stars of the year this year. Um, this is a very, very, very difficult start bench cut. But I'm going to start Margot. She came as superstar Barbie in this like all pink. And obviously... She never misses. She has not missed the entire last year on the Barbie press tour. And this sparkly pink dress is just it. She is Barbie. I love it. And I'm also so glad that she won. Now it's down to Taylor and Selena. I'm going to say something so controversial right now, but I'm going to bench... Selena Gomez and her dress. There, she was getting so much backlash about this dress, and people were saying they just don't get it. It doesn't look good. And at first, I was a little confused by it because the the bottom of it is kind of at this like weird angle. But the more I looked, the more I loved it. And red is totally her color. She looks super happy. It looks so flattering on her. She had a little Marilyn Monroe moment, and she looks so beautiful. So. I'm benching Selena. This might be the only time in history that I ever cut Taylor Swift from anything. And she also looked absolutely gorgeous. And I loved the green and it's giving reputation snake era for sure. Um, But I just think that Margot and Selena just had their moment and I love Taylor to death and I think she looks absolutely gorgeous. But in this start bench cut, I'm going to have to cut the mother.
3: Star bench cut, sporting events, the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, or the World Series.
0: Super Bowl is coming up quickly, and I am absolutely 100% starting the Super Bowl. The NFL season is absolutely... Just crushing it this year. Um, And Super Bowl, I feel like, is something everybody tunes into, not only just for the football, but also the halftime performance. I'm benching the NBA finals. However, I do want to say that there is something going on in the NBA right now, and I feel like a change needs to be made. I feel like viewership is down. There are no rivalries in the NBA right now, which is something that is just so crucial to the NBA and just what makes the NBA the NBA. There is There are players who are switching teams so often that it's hard to just stick with a team and really ride by them when the rosters are changing so frequently. Obviously, the in-season tournament did boost ratings and boost viewership, but something has to be done for to get fans more engaged in the NBA like they used to because the NFL is literally wiping the floor with every other sport right now. And I think it's because fans are able to get involved with their team. There's like one or two days or three days a week that people are tuning in to these NFL games. There's not that many games. Every game matters. And with the NBA, there just seems to be a little bit of a fall off on the level of competition, the rivalries, the the uh, storylines within these teams. And so I'm hoping that we can get back into that. I don't know the solution for it, but we got to get that spark back in the NBA and in the fandom that rides with the NBA. Um, I'm going to cut the world series. Although it is, although I I do actually enjoy baseball and going to baseball games. um, It's just not something that I feel like collectively we all tune into. So it's, you know, it's getting cut, but maybe with that $700 million deal in LA, And if they make it to the World Series, that'll make things more exciting.
3: Start, bench, cut, old school basketball edition. (laughs) Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, or Timmy Duncan.
0: This is one of the most difficult start bench cuts, I think, ever when it comes to basketball players. And I feel like every answer is a wrong answer here. I'm going to preface it with that. I'm going to start Larry Bird because I love shooters. I was a shooter. Larry Bird is like the OG shooter, shit talker, that guy rival starter. We're going to start Larry Bird. We're going to bench Magic Johnson because Magic is, is just that guy. And I'm going to cut Tim Duncan as painful as that seems. And I don't even really have a good reason for it because there is no right answer here. <laughs> but we're gonna start Larry. We're gonna we're gonna bench Magic. And we're cutting Tim Duncan.
3: I think that is the right answer.
0: You think that's and, the right answer? Yeah,
3: and, and the reason the reason for cutting Tim Duncan is that the other two guys were Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. Like just, <laughs> yeah, you weren't <it's> like <laughs> gonna cut either of them. Like like as we mentioned yeah, earlier like, in the episode, these these two guys like arguably saved the whole NBA, right? True. At, at 1. Point, and are just so True. iconic and also were both of them were more exciting players to watch than than Tim Duncan. Like Tim Duncan's a great player and he's in that conversation of of like greatest at his position ever perhaps. Um, but but yeah, you can't you're not going to cut Larry or Magic.
0: By the way, they're more exciting. Larry and Magic bring more of a spark.
3: Start Bench Cut NBA Coach Edition. Greg Popovich, Pat Riley, Phil Jackson.
0: This is a tough one and it might be controversial, but I'm going to start Phil Jackson because rings are rings and he has 11 rings. So he's starting for us. I'm going to bench Greg Popovich because if you want to talk about longevity, dynasty, what any player has said about Popovich and playing under him, I feel like there's never been anything negative said about coach Pop. We're benching Popovich, and I'm going to cut Pat Riley, also as controversial as that might sound, and a lot of people will argue that he's, you know, up there with these two guys, but uh, in this scenario, we're cutting cutting Pat. Now it's time to spill the tea with Mobby T. ASMR edition. On today's Spill the Tea segment, we are going to spill the tea on all things Pat McAfee, Aaron Rodgers. Jimmy Kimmel, and Jeffrey Epstein. How does this all go hand in hand? Well, today, we're going to find out. So recently, Aaron Rodgers was a guest on the Pat McAfee show, and he had a very bold allegation that he made against Jimmy Kimmel. So let's check it out. This
4: has something to do with the Epstein list that came out? <laughs> Feels like <laughs> it's like. supposed to be coming out soon. A lot of people including Jimmy Kimmel are really hoping that doesn't. <laughs> All right. If that list comes out, I definitely will be popping popping some sort of bottle.
0: So obviously Jimmy Kimmel replied to this and he said, "Dear asshole, for the record, I've not met flown with, visited, or had any contact whatsoever with Epstein, nor will you find my name on any list other than the clearly phony nonsense that soft-brained wackos like yourself can't seem to distinguish from reality. Your reckless words put my family in danger. Keep it up, and we will debate the facts further in court. And he added Aaron Rodgers, 12. I'm not the biggest fan of Jimmy Kimmel. I don't know the guy. But his hosting style to me has definitely always been like a little bit over the top and some things seem disingenuous, but I don't know the guy could totally be projecting. However, if somebody very publicly on live television alluded to the fact that I was a pedophile, I might react in the same way that Jimmy Kimmel did if that was obviously not the truth. Like that's a very bold and reckless allegation to make about somebody. It's one of the worst things that you can say about somebody. And so I don't fault Jimmy Kimmel for responding the way that he did. Um, These two also have a little bit of beef that that goes way back. There's always been this little exchange back and forth. Kimmel has made jokes about Aaron Rodgers on his show. And so I feel like there's just a little bit of tension there. It seems to be politically driven in a lot of ways as well. So just this morning, Aaron Rodgers actually came out because he was being asked by the media when he's going to address this again. Is he going to say anything back to Kimmel? And he said that he will be on Pat McAfee's show tomorrow, which is Tuesday. I'm not sure when this video will go up, but on Tuesday, he is going to talk about those claims once again. So we will have to tune in and see what Aaron Rodgers has to say.
4: There's an excitement to expose corruption. And what I joked about the other day about popping a bottle, there's excitement about when the corruption anywhere gets exposed and people who are accused of these heinous crimes get exposed, that will be nice. And I said a lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, are really hoping that doesn't come out. I was referring to the fact that if there is a list, which again, this hasn't come out yet, this was just a deposition, and there are names on it, then that would be the second time that a soft-brain, junior college student, you know, wacko, anti-vax, anti-Semite, purveyor, (laughs) spreader of misinformation, conspiracy theorist, MAGA, whatever other things that have been said by him and other people in the media would be right twice.
0: One of the things that I thought, however, was pretty bold that Pat McAfee claimed on this show was that there is somebody at ESPN who is actively trying to sabotage his show. So here is what Pat McAfee said on his broadcast. He said, there are some people actively trying to sabotage us from within ESPN. More specifically, I believe Norby Williamson is the guy who is attempting to sabotage our program. So he called this guy out by name. This was live on ESPN, mind you. So he's calling out somebody from ESPN while live on ESPN. He said, Pat McAfee said Williamson was the only human that has this information and then somehow that information gets leaked and it's wrong and then it sets a narrative to what our show is. This is basically information about the TV ratings of the Pat McAfee show and the information that was leaked was Pat McAfee is claiming where the ratings were not as good as they actually are. So they, the ratings that were put out to the public are not the true ratings of the show. ESPN then came out and defended Williamson. ESPN said no one is more committed to and invested in ESPN's success than Norby Williamson. At the same time, we are thrilled with the multi-platform success that we have seen from the Pat McAfee show across ESPN. We will handle this matter internally and have no further comment. McAfee also confessed that he doesn't like Williamson... As like on a personal level, he said that guy left me in his office for 45 minutes. No showed me in 2018. So this guy has zero respect for me. And in return, same thing back to him. And then he said at the end of of his monologue, we have good intentions. Every single time we come in here, we don't always get it right. But MF has been getting it wrong for a long time in this specific field. A long, long time. What I do like about Pat McAfee is I think in general, he's always one to kind of shoot it straight and be honest. And I think a lot of people were worried when the Pat McAfee show went to ESPN because he is somebody who doesn't hold his tongue and and he's very just upfront and honest. And some might call a loose cannon about things. They were a little bit worried that going to ESPN, he might be censored a bit. And we know that being at big media companies, you're not always allowed to say exactly what you want to say. And if you do say what you want to say and the execs at these companies don't like it, there's a chance that your show could get sabotaged. And I think that's something that he is alluding to here. For myself, I have personal experience in this realm as well. I have been at multiple places where it's not even feeling sabotage when I blatantly know that there is sabotage going on. One of those places being at NBA 2K TV, there was somebody there who was actively sabotaging our show. And it wasn't in my immediate group. It wasn't in my, but there was somebody there who at certain times didn't seem to want our show to do well. And they did things in their control, what they could do to hurt the success of our show. Another one of that is working for ESPN with Courtside Club. There were things in season one of Courtside Club. There were moments in my show. There were funny things that were said between myself and guests that were cut by ESPN because it's just how their, their company runs. It's something that they didn't want to be shared or something that they didn't, you know, feel fit in with the ESPN narrative. So it really is hard to be a free thinker, to be creative, to be outspoken and work at a big media company because you will get reprimanded. You'll get sabotaged. Your, your product won't be pushed as much as the things that they want to push the narrative that they want to spin. And so if you're not falling in line with some of those things, it doesn't always work out for you. So I feel for McAfee as somebody who comes from a more digital world where it it is his show and the success of his show is based solely on him. The show was successful before it went to ESPN. Now that it's on ESPN, it is maintaining its its success, but it might be something that is uncomfortable for ESPN. I will say though, some of these big media companies do need to change, make changes quickly and adapt to the landscape of media now. Because as you're seeing with so many athletes who have their own platforms, with some of these smaller media companies, with these YouTube channels that are getting more views, more money, more numbers, then cable television is getting, you have to adapt with the times. So sticking in this kind of old school mentality, gotta, you know, stick with the rules, play by the books, don't say anything too outrageous. Women should just be, you know, hosting. They don't need to be giving their opinions. They'll just be the talking head and let's let, you know, two older media people argue with each other. Like that time of media is not it that time is gone. They need to be adapting and, and signing somebody like Pat McPhee, I think, was one of the best things that ESPN did as a company. And so I surely hope that their relationship between Pat McPhee and the company gets smoothed out relatively quickly because McPhee can leave and be just as successful. I think ESPN needs him more than he needs them. But it is something like when you hear the word sabotage, I think you you think of like, Oh, they're gonna like burn the tapes or something or edit something together to make it sound like you said something you're not. And it's like sabotage can be the smallest thing. Like sabotage can be uploading your video at the wrong time with the, with the wrong title so that the first, you know, 10 minutes of your video going live, it doesn't get the push that it needs. Like sabotage could be accidentally and I've had this happen before for some of my things, like if I interview an athlete and you accidentally tag the wrong person in the tweet to promote the episode or the video, it's like sabotage can be these really small things that people on the other side of the sabotage are like, oh, honest mistake, like so sorry, didn't mean to do that, won't happen again. And it's like those little things over time build up and it's like the the numbers here and there or like I don't care like if my show was getting 100 million views an episode and you put out a report that said it was getting 85 million views like that that actually that is sabotage some people say oh it's not that much different it is because you're doing it blatantly so I think like some of these things just at the smallest level happen at these companies and when also it when you're the talent who is in front of the camera any of the backlash like A wrong tweet goes up about my show or an episode I did and something is spelled wrong or or the wrong person is tagged. The backlash doesn't go to the person who is tweeting it. The backlash goes to me because people think that I was the one – Who put it up on the company's page, or I was the one who didn't know it. So it's like the talent always gets the most backlash. Like the producers who are behind the scenes who actually have like such a hand in what's happening, they're not seeing anything. So I think like that just like ups the stakes for anybody who's like forward facing in front of the camera. Like the sabotage is always gonna hit you harder. And it can just be the smallest things. Like I've had tweets, I've had videos uploaded at the wrong times. I've had videos uploaded and then buried immediately by a secondary post when it's like every social media manager knows that you need to space things out. So um, yeah, there's there's a, there's many ways to sabotage. And unfortunately, it's something I think that happens more often than not. So props to Pat McPhee for actually bringing it to light because most people, including myself, are not brave enough to do that. All right, you guys, that's it for this week's episode of Courtside Club. Make sure that you thumbs up this video and subscribe because we upload new videos every single week. And if you are listening to this episode on Spotify, then make sure that you head over to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash to watch the full episode in its entirety. And then you can also see the videos and photos that we are reacting to throughout this episode. Thank you guys so much for watching and we will see you next week. Bye.